Okay, everyone, we'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to mute everyone. Um, if you have a question, I believe there's a way to start the chat. Is that right, Sharif? Well, this is actually just a standard meeting, Abuna. It's not a okay. webinar, so anybody okay. can chime in anytime. Okay. People just have to remember to Bye. mute themselves after they're done talking. Okay, great. So if everybody can voluntarily mute your phone then, we'll do it that way. Excellent. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So today's uh, meeting, we're going to do this every uh, Tuesday night at around 7.45 or so. We'll have a, a spiritual talk or maybe we'll have a little Bible study. Um, it's good to get everyone together in the room or at least virtually, and we can get together and have a discussion and, uh, and, and have a talk or maybe a Bible study, something beneficial for us. And so, you know, with all the stuff going on right now, I thought maybe one good topic would be to look at the book of Job, as you um, may be familiar with this book, maybe not, either way, it's okay. We're actually going to read the first couple uh, chapters together. So if you can pull out your Bibles on your phone, or if you want to follow along on the screen, we have it here as well. Um, if we can get some volunteers to read so I can save my voice, that'd be excellent. So Sam. Uh, I see you there first on the list, on my list here. Would you mind reading uh, the first chapter of the book of Job, and then we'll get somebody else for the second chapter? Sure, Thank you. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And, se and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the, the greatest of all people of the East. And his sons were, would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send out and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer, hunt, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So if I can, I'm going to interrupt along the way here. So just to emphasize that Job was extremely wealthy. He had children, he had land, he had back then a measure of wealth was uh, sheep. So he had lots of uh, cattle. Um, and so he was very rich, very healthy, had wonderful children. And he always recognized God. He would sacrifice on their behalf so that, you know, he can uh, keep his children uh, free from any harm. Keep going. Now there was a day where the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan okay. answered. Sorry, Sam. So a very this is one of the more interesting dialogues between God and Satan. So Satan walks up where all the angels are hanging out, and they're uh, with God, and God spoke to him and said, 
and he, you could see that the Lord is very proud of uh, Job. He's very proud of him about how, what kind of righteous life he's living. And Satan, of course, in his way, he's very jealous. So you see the, the kind of dialogue that Satan has, and we get a really nice insight into our enemy and, you know, the kind of things he, he wants us to fall in. And, uh, and he is called the great accuser because he, day and night, he's accusing all of us of sin and, uh, and God's mercy, of course, overcomes all of the accusations. But let's look at this uh, interesting dialogue between the two and see how Job responds. And the Lord said. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on earth a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made the hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch that all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there, now there was a day where, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding be, beside them. When the sea beans raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the, the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came. Another also came and said, the Chaldeans came three bands, raided the camels and took them away and killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his beard and he fell to the ground and worshipped and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job was not, did not sin or charged God with wrong. Satan attacked Job's health. Again, there was a day when... Okay, so, sorry. Now oh, let's have uh, someone else read. Thank you. So we can see here that um, Satan got permission from God, and only when he was able to do that, he was able to take away all of the possessions and children of Job. And Job, after mourning, and um, was 
you know, very stricken with grief over this. Nevertheless, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he still glorified God, even though these possessions and his children were taken away. Jasmine, can you read uh, chapter two? Yes. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and... Did we already read this? No, no. Go on. Okay. He's saying the same thing. Oh, okay. From going to and fro the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan... Just real quick. So Satan, uh, you know, because he says this both times, where did you come from? And he says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Satan walks around the earth like a lion who goes back and forth on the land, seeking to whom he can devour. Like he's going around, seeing what home he can abide in, what heart is ready for him. And he's always active and always searching for a place for himself. So he's going back and forth is where he's come from. That's where he went from there. And then he goes to the presence of the Lord to accuse us after he's gathered information. And then again, the Lord is very proud of Job, right? He wants us to have victory and honor, not just forever in heaven, but also in the eyes of our enemies, he wants us to have honor and glory. So we could see here. So uh, verse three, Jasmine. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And glory be to God for every man. So in these first two chapters, very interesting first two chapters, it kind of gives us insights into a spiritual realm of what occurs, the kind of spiritual warfare that happens when we're not looking. Uh, Satan, in this case, slandered him in front of God. And that's the cause, you know, that the cause of his love was on the gifts rather than the giver of the gift. And he says, does God fear God? Does Job fear God for nothing? If you take away all that he has, he's going to curse you to your face. 
So God, importantly, gave permission for Satan to attack his material possessions. So he lost his property, children, health, friends. But again, Job did not lose his integrity, and he glorified God in all of this. He didn't cease, though, right? The devil never quits. He never stops fighting. Um, he didn't uh, stop to accuse Job and said a second time that the cause of him uh, glorifying God was because of his health. And he said, skin for skin, take away his health and he will curse you to your face. So again, God gave permission for Satan to give him these really painful boils from top to bottom. And Job like really suffered tremendously from this. Um, and then yet, nevertheless, even at the provoking wife that he had, uh, he still, uh, you know, glorified God and, and everything that he did. So Satan placed greater value on him blaspheming rather than making him lose the possessions and health. That shows us that Satan himself, right? He does not have or place any value on these material things that we happen to always give preference in our lives, right? He himself places very little value on him. What matters to Satan is that we blaspheme or that we turn away from our faith or lose our faith. That's what's critical for himself. He doesn't re regard material gain, but he uses it as a tool to make us stumble. But through this little affliction that Job went through, we saw the invisible world of the heart, right? We saw that his affections were set on God, not on, uh, were set on God only and not on the things that God gives us, right? Not on the material possessions, um, not at the well-being of our body, our health. He gives Job gives the glory to God and his affections to God. And if these other things are taken away, he, of course, loves God more than anything. That's why he says, for now, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold not another, how my heart yearns within me. So the virtues that if we look at the virtues of Job, and of course, we know that the virtues of Job are spoken of uh, throughout the Bible, and they're used in a lot of lessons in life, right? That he has faith and patience, love, hope, courage, endurance, so many virtues that Job, uh, Job uh, of course, exhibited through this uh, little trial that he had. But did God already know is the question, right? Did God already know when Satan came provoking did God already know what, what was in the heart of Job, that he would indeed glorify him and that he does indeed love him for himself and not for the possessions? We say, of course he did, right? Because in jo John chapter two, it says, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he, knows, he knew what is in man. Before we answer that question deeper, we'll look at another example. Um, the story of Abraham's offering of his son, right? Uh, shows us that great measure of love that Abraham and Isaac had. And we say not just Abraham, but Isaac also. So at this command, if you remember the story, uh, God commands Abraham to go and sacrifice his only son, Isaac, uh, as a burnt offering for himself. So at this command, which we all shudder, uh, right? Especially those of us with children, we're like, oh, wow, you know, would I do something like that? 
And not only does the Bible say there was no conflict or anything like that, he, the Bible says that he rose up early the next morning. No inner struggle. You know, I was, sometimes I see like a Catholic, uh, uh, like one of those beautiful Catholic paintings that shows uh, Abraham covering the eyes of uh, Isaac, right? Showing that there's that struggle, that inner struggle. Uh, but the Bible doesn't suggest any kind of inner struggle, but that he rose up early in the morning, eager to do God's will. Uh, that shows that perfect love for God. And we say for Isaac too, right? Because Isaac was a young man, right? Maybe in a teenager, maybe in his early 20s. And Abraham was extremely old, like close to 100 years old. So if you can imagine a teenager and a 100-year-old man, believe me, Isaac could have got away if he wanted to, right? Could have been very easy for him to push his dad away and say, dad, you know what? Let's talk about this later. For now, I'm just going to go back down the hill. But instead, Isaac willingly allows his father, who's 100 years old, to bind him and to put him on the altar. Uh, so he offered his life willingly, right? And so we know that this, um, again, shows what's inside of his heart as well, what's inside of his mind, what's inside of his heart, the kind of faith, the kind of humility, the kind of humbleness he has came about, you know, for us to know through this uh, trial that was, that God put in front of Abraham. But right before he is about to sacrifice Isaac, God stopped Abraham and said, now I know that you fear God. Don't lay a hand on him because now I know that you fear God. So again, that same question, did God know the contents of Abraham's heart? We say, of course he did right? So what is this word, now I know? And why is it that God allows Satan to give so many trials and tribulations to Job? St. Augustine, I like what St. Augustine says here. He says that now I know really means now I will let it be known. So that that inner world, that invisible world that's inside of us is now known to everyone, right? To the people of all ages, and we benefit from this story. We benefit from the standard that Job uh, and Abraham and Isaac gave, and as well as others. We are now able to see that content of their heart and, and their mind, and are able to um, also set that standard for ourselves in obedience and love and humility and faith. Uh, because we know that Abraham was promised that his children would be like the stars of heaven through Isaac. So he knows that even though he would kill Isaac, he had faith that God would raise him again from the dead because that promise is true and it cannot be broken. He had that faith. So it, it is like here we are thousands of years later and we're still benefiting from these stories, right? That we wouldn't have benefited even though uh, if, if this trial never did happen, we wouldn't have ever benefited from knowing that standard that's inside them uh, for our benefit. He also allows, uh, you know, for us, the church, but also um, he allows these kind of trials to happen that they themselves may know what's inside their heart. Oftentimes, God does not, or, you know, we do not know what's inside of our heart until God allows it to be known, right? And that's one of our prayers to God is that, Lord, reveal to me the inner uh, shortcomings that I myself am not aware of so that I can, you know, take steps working with the Holy Spirit to repent from those uh, mistakes. And so God allows that invisible world of the heart, and it's only made um, relevant, and it's only made 
clear and open and visible through trials and tribulations, whether they're bad or whether they're good. Um, that's why we oftentimes value uh, these tribulations like the, the martyrs went through because of that example of faith, Christianity was well established in the whole world. So those were just the first two chapters of Job. Job, uh, the, the gospel, uh, the book of Job has 41 chapters, and we only read the first two. So interestingly, the, the next many chapters, the bulk of the book, chapters 3 through 37, are a dialogue between Job's three friends and Job, right? So his three friends come to kind of console him and ask him, you know, like to kind of make him feel better. Of course, it doesn't help because they provoke him to defend himself. They insist that, you know, that the things that he did was because of his sins and that he should acknowledge that and repent from those sins. And it, it really, during, you know, I strongly encourage you to read those many chapters because it does, you hear those kind of questions today, right? Why does God allow suffering in the world where is god's providence in the midst of the suffering um is it because of our sins is it because of the sin of adam and eve you know that original fall that death and you know all these questions are kind of brought up and you know job starts to defend himself and he starts questioning god because of that and he says god why why do you allow these to happen you know i've always stood upright in your presence i've always done the best i can and so at the end of those many, many chapters, right, there's, uh, you know, 30, what is that, 34 chapters. Um, then we have the last few chapters, 38 through 41, where God responds uh, to Job, right? And he responds to Job in a manner that is perplexing for us, right? And I, again, I strongly encourage you to read that because it is a very interesting uh dialogue that God, you know, responds to Job. Um, and he says, question, by the way, it has a lot of physics and a lot of very interesting um, scientific things that, uh, that they wouldn't have understood at the time Job wrote this, you know, or the time this book was written. Uh, but a lot of things that we, you know, understand better now, I, it's really interesting from that perspective. But um, when God finally responds, right, he does not answer any of those questions directly, which is really interesting. He never questions the question of why. He never answers him, but he talks to him and he says, were you there when I created the universe? Were you there when I told the animals to do what they do? Were you there when I formed the earth and the mountains? Were you, you weren't there when I did all this. Now you're questioning my providence. And Job, at the end of that dialogue, is humbled by that and he does not ever say god but wait a minute you never answered my question but job is nevertheless satisfied in the end he's content he's satisfied he understands now that god's wisdom is beyond un understanding sometimes and we have to put limits on our understanding oftentimes when it when it does come to the issue of uh, suffering we do have to put limits on our mind as to why that why that happened um it, i liken it to uh like having a really good sports car right if you have a nice sports car but if you don't have and and it's very fast like say a ferrari or lamborghini or something 
And if it doesn't have a steering wheel or brakes to which can, by which you can control that sports car, the, the car becomes useless, right? You can just park it and admire how nice it looks, but you can't really drive it. And so the same way when we're questioning God, we have to understand the limits of human thinking and to understand God's infinite power. That doesn't mean we don't search more and we question and we try to understand and, and uh, through a lot of effort, try to understand and, and dig deeper in the Bible and understand life's mysteries to the extent we can. But in, we will understand more fully in heaven. And even in heaven, we will grow uh, because it's forever, right? We grow more and more in heaven, uh, understanding God, understanding his will. And, and we grow more and more even, in, in, even through eternity. St. Augustine says, but we ought to exercise such submission to the will of our Lord, of the Lord, our God, that if he doesn't remove those vexations, those troubles that we go through, we do not suppose ourselves to be neglected by him, but rather in patient endurance of evil, hope to be made partakers of the greater good. For so his strength is perfected in our weakness. So then, when faced with personal tribulations or even societal tribulations like we're going through right now, we don't know what to pray for. You know, there's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting, right? We pray with a desire, which is common for all mankind, that these issues be taken away from us to the greatest extent possible. But at the same time, we have to loo uh, make room for God's will in those prayers because it may not be what's best for us. We should consider the tribulations that we go through for our own benefit, that these things could be for our own benefit. We should use it as an opportunity to raise our hearts and our minds to God. Sometimes God granted these uh, requests of the impatient people who are going through tribulations. He's gra he granted them the, uh, his mercy and, and denied it to others, right? Sometimes he listens, sometimes he doesn't, because sometimes it's still for our benefit. And so you can see the world now slowly, you know, this is amazing how God with one, uh, you know, if I could say snap of a finger, if even that, has brought the world to its knees. The whole, you know, proud world that existed has brought everyone to uh, their knees. And everyone's crying out to him, right? And in time, God willing, uh, through repentance and faith and prayer, God will remove this in due time. But let's look at some examples, right? So that we should be careful what we wish for. In the, in the Old Testament, uh, the complaining Israelites uh, were complaining that they didn't have enough to eat. Um, and so they were corrected with plagues, even with meat in their mouth. So God gave him the meat, but then with the meat, they were, um, they, they were given the plagues as well. We look at the Israelites who, for example, they begged for a king, right? They said, we want a king just like the other nations have. And God spoke to them through the, through the prophets, right? And said, why do you want a king? Aren't I your king? If you have a king, he's going to tax you. He's going to send you to war. He's going to bring you like pretty much under his subject. You become one of his subjects. And they said, no, no, we want a king. We, ins we insist we want a king. So God granted them their request. And as we know in studying the Old Testament history, right, only maybe two or three, maybe three, were righteous kings in the whole history of the kingdoms before and after the, uh, the, um, the division of Israel and Judah. 
they maybe had one or two good kings, uh, maybe maybe three at the most, if you if you look at some of the things they did. On the flip side, we look at the example of St. Paul. St. Paul, who wrought miracles and healings, and he was caught um, uh, into the, the heavens to see things that are not lawful for him to even speak about. But he had this wound, right? Um, and he rose somebody from the dead even, right? We know that. And his uh, his apron that was like, his bandage that was on his side, they would put that bandage on others and they would be healed through that. But he himself asked three times from God that uh, this ailment that he was going through be removed from him and said, God, please remove this ailment. And then finally God responded to him with a, a beautiful response. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, St. Paul says this, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we must then kind of, you know, like St. Augustine calls here, there is therefore in us a certain learned ignorance. Uh, it seems oxymoron, right? A learned ignorance. We have to kind of teach ourselves to, in a way, be, you know, to accept the fact that God works in a way that may be beyond our understanding. And God wants us to understand, but sometimes we are not at that stage where we can understand. Either we're not spiritually mature or mentally mature. It's like with our kids, you know, try to explain to your children that, uh, like my four-year-old, that, you know, candy causes cavities. He's not going to get it. Um, but when the kids grow up older, then that could be a reason for them. But for as for my four-year-old, I'm going to take the candy away from him. And if he cries, I'm going to try to give him something else. But, you know, I'm not going to sit there explaining the science of why he can't have candy, right? And so sometimes, I hate to use that analogy, but we're, we're like these little children, right? Where we haven't grown to a level of maturity that we can understand certain things. And, you know, we... Um, we have to be patient in that and just to kind of accept that God is working and that he loves us and he's going to work all things uh, that is best for us. And in Romans chapter 8, we kind of see this, right? And St. Paul says here in Romans, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So what is God's promise when it comes to suffering? Did he say once you're baptized, all things will be hunky-dory and you will never ever be troubled like the rest of the people of the world? Uh, you know, that will be a distinctive characteristic of Christians that they will not suffer in the world. Was that promise ever made? I know I muted everyone, but uh, the, the, the answer is, of course, he did not, right? In fact, he says and he prophesizes that we will be faced with many tribulations. He says he foretold, uh, he foretold many of the types of tribulations, too. He talked about um, that we would be just like everyone else that we would in this life that as long as we're in the worldly life that our life will be just like everyone else's we will suffer just like everyone else suffers 
um, both Christian and non-Christian are subject to these things that he, and he prepared us for, he said, you know, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes. And of course, there will be pestilences. And many times in history, there have been pestilences, pestilence or plague or, or epidemics or, or any of the kind of like the coronavirus that we're seeing today. Um, these things have happened in human history many times, even after, uh, even within the last 2000 years. He said these things would come in all places and especially more so in the last days, and that the Christians would um, be faced with them, right? And they'll have to courageously face them. So we shouldn't be surprised. One thing is we should not be surprised. It doesn't, may or may not make things easier, but, at the, uh, but for us Christians, we have an in on this that we know these things are coming. And we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't have fear of anything, though the mountains fall on us, though the persecutors persecute us, though they kill us, though they, uh, any kind of pestilence happens or any kind of earthquake happens, no matter, or, you know, if a comet falls out of the sky and hits the earth, we don't, you know, that doesn't matter for us. We have no fear. It doesn't mean that we don't use a sound mind to approach any of these challenges, to try to overcome them and to offer support for everyone around us, that we should take sound and, uh, and constructive measures. But at the same time, we know they're coming and we should not have fear of them because fear is not for the Christian. It's foreign to us. And in Revelations, cowardice, it shows that cowardice, the people who are cowards are, are those who do not go to heaven, right? Coward, coward and courage um, are a distinctive characteristic of the Christian and non-Christian. But fear is for those who are not baptized and living in the church. Fear is for those who are not willing to carry the cross and do the deeds that God has commanded us to. And fear is for those who do not have faith. Even the smallest of faith, God counts, right? But we need to have faith. We need to have courage. We need to carry the cross. We need to look for the support of other people who are suffering uh, as needed. And because we always look for the age to come, right? We know that Christ rose three people from the dead. And so did his apostles. And so did, uh, uh, you know, many of the church fathers, actually. When we read in the Stenics area, many church fathers, actually, uh, through the Holy Spirit, rose people from the dead. And so we know that this age to come will indeed come. We know that the dead will rise. And there will be a eternal life and there will be an eternal death that's what really matters reward and that eternal home that we have and that eternal life that christ has promised us because that is the true life just like not going there is the true death but this world and its sufferings are they pale in comparison with the eternal just like isaiah the prophet says your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise awake and sing you who dwell in the dust for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. And in John, he says, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, there will be a resurrection of the dead. We, we look, at those end of days, right? That second coming, 
the resurrection of the dead, because that's where our true life begins. That's where our home is. That's where our joy is fully realized. We may, through God's grace, start experiencing some of the joys of a relationship with God now, but those things are just tastes that God gives us to encourage us to progress and to fight through any challenges that we are suffering through in this life, right? That's where our rewards are kept for us. That's where the mercy and justice will shine forth. And that's where the true resurrection will be everlasting without end. So we look, we look there constantly. You're not a, we're not a real Christian if we're not constantly looking for the age to come. That's why in the creed, we always say um, at the very end of the creed, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the coming age. It is something that is engraved in Christians to look for that eternal life that comes uh, and that will come and that will last forever. So we remind ourselves, right? Because of this, it also beneficial for us to remind ourselves that we're sojourners on this earth. We're like visitors, right? Um, We are like when you're visiting another country, it's nice to visit, but you know what? You can't wait to go back home to your bed, to your refrigerator, to your wife's cooking or your husband's uh, cooking. Either way, we don't know how every house works. For me, it's definitely my wife's cooking. Um, and then we go, we, we earn to go back, right? Even if it's a vacation for fun, after maybe a week or two, we're eager to go back home because that's where our true comfort is. That's where our true salvation lies, right? Um, we Looking there, it kind of reaffirms our belief too that the dead do indeed rise and that we are going there, right? And so we that is faith. We do not have that eternal life right now, right? We don't have that age to come yet. We're looking at it as if we're running a race and we're seeing the finish line and we always got to keep our eye on that finish line. It gives us every courage, right? To face every challenge uh, in this world because we understand that no matter what the world may dish out to us, we know it's temporary. Like St. Athanasius says, um, that, you know, if anyone knows the story, the epic story of St. Athanasius, he was exiled five times. And, you know, even the people around him, and he would never lose hope, right? He was always active. He was always visiting other countries. And he started monasticism when he visited Rome. He visited the emperor and, and met with him face to face and said, the Lord be judged between you and I. He was always active, right? And, but, you know, I think around the fourth or fifth exile, the people around him even began to despair. And he looked at him and said, do not fear. It's just a cloud that will, that's, that's there now, but soon it will go away. When life gives us things, we have to remember that it's a cloud and it will surely pass away, right? It's not uh, eternal, but even the worst that, that the world can dish out to us in this life, we know it's only temporary. And that's one of the fruits of looking to the age to come. Looking there gives us a depth of peace and removes any kind of anxiety. We, you know, before all this happened, and we have to now spend time with our families, which of course is a gift. Um, But, you know, we're always like stressed out at work, right? Or stressed out at the anxiety of paying bills and things like that, right? But when we look at the age to come, it is, it gives us an, an, an almost an immediate um, relief of that anxiety. That when we know that life's worst challenges is temporary and that we have our true home there. And that actually helps us deal with any issues that we're working with now. 
when we're looking at the age to come actually helps us with the issues. It's not running away from it. It actually helps us to deal with the issues, with the issues in a more effective, a more effective manner. We know that Christ will perform these things because he promised it to us, right? And he is the truth. And truth always tells the truth. Truth does not contradict itself. And he is the truth. Um, before we get to questions. So there are many examples before us. We have good and bad examples of those who face tribulations and trials. The good would bear them courageously and the bad would give up. Um, and we read in the Senexarium actually uh, on Sunday about one of the people who were persecuted and he gave in to the persecution of uh, their, his persecutors and he denied his faith. And so we, say, we saw the angels in the Senexarium says the angels gave his crown to one of the actual soldiers who were persecuting. So he lost his crown, but God gave that crown to one of the soldiers who confessed Christ and he received the martyrdom and he, all, he became um, a good example for us. So there's many good examples of those who bore suffering with courage and faith. We read today about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Job, but also when we look at all the prophets actually, and the prophets were persecuted by the very same people that they were trying to save. And um, they you know, bore it very courageously. The confessors of the world, right? Like St. Samuel, this picture here of St. Samuel. Um, the, uh, the martyrs, of course, in, in the early centuries and even today. Uh, we saw St. John Chrysostom, uh, he gave uh, an exhortation to one of his friends. Uh, he says, I saw the swords and I meditated on heaven. I saw the swords of those who were persecuting us and I made it, meditated on heaven. I expected death and I thought of the resurrection. I beheld the sufferings of this lower world and I took account of the heavenly prizes. I observed the devices of the enemy and I meditated on the heavenly crown. For the occasion of the contest was sufficient for encouragement and consolation. Therefore, my friend, wait for the final outcome. For all things will certainly turn out, whether in this life or the life to come, in every circumstance yield to the incomprehensibility of God's providence. We know that God is in control and he operates on a level that is beyond our understanding and we thank God for that. And because first and foremost, we know that he loves us. But that doesn't mean when God sends a whale like Jonah to swallow us that we don't, you know, pause and raise up our hearts in repentance and in um, prayer and in fasting, uh, which right now we're in the middle of Lent when this happens. So it's a good opportunity for us to raise our hearts in prayer and fasting, asking for God's mercy, of course but resting assured in God's love and, and his compassion towards us, and he will protect us um, even forever. Even though uh, death knocks on the door, we are not afraid by any means. St. Athanasius says, for the proof of a martyr lies not only in refusing to burn incense to idols, but to refuse to deny the faith is also an illustrious testimony of a good conscience. And not only those who turned aside onto idols were condemned as aliens, but those who betrayed the truth. So in all of this, no matter what, faith is what matters. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is what matters. And that no matter what the trials or tribulations, this is what the church fathers have taught us. 
and, and those who led us by example, that no matter what the, the trouble, whether it's man-made or nature-made, um, that God allows us to endure, we know that God loves us and we are not to deny the faith. The faith is all that matters for us and we hold fast to the faith no matter what the pressures that we are faced with. I mean, we look at the 12 disciples, for example, every one of them were martyred, except for, of course, St. John the Beloved, who died at, in peace uh, at the age of about 100, but he died, in, he died in exile. But every one of them were martyred, right, in different fashions. Some were stoned, some were whipped, some were thrown off a, a building, some were crucified uh, upside down or in the shape of an X, uh, some were skinned alive. Um, so we, we know, and some were sawed in half. So they all endured these things as an example for us, right? They endured it with courage because they know that the faith is all that matters and that eternal world that they kept their eyes on, that they taught us to keep our eyes on, they, oh, they did by practice. We look at the 70 apostles. We look at St. Paul, who was beheaded, and St. Mark, who was uh, dragged through the streets in Egypt, right, and, until his head was severed from his body. We look at St. Ignatius. We read uh, these apostolic fathers during one of our men's meetings. Uh, very courageous, right? He told the Roman people not to plead for his defense. They were actually forming a crowd to stop him from being martyred. And he said, what are you doing? Don't let your love for me hinder me from going to that place that really matters. And he left us such a, an amazing lesson for that, right? He told the Roman people, not to plead for his defense so that he may be unified with Christ in that age to come. That's all that matters for us. That's the true life. That's the promise that God has given us. And nothing can take that away from us if we hold fast to the faith. Under Diocletian, right, 800,000 Coptic martyrs by one estimate, right? If you close your eyes and imagine where the San Diego Padres play, right? You know, 20 of those stadiums in the period of about 10 years were martyred. Uh, amazing, right? So these are not just one or two examples. These are amazing examples of those who suffered for us uh, for, so that we can receive the faith, right? That we can receive the faith that we have today. Of course, under the Muslims' uh, uh, leaders, they, you know, we have many examples of persecutions and, and more importantly, that prolonged persecution of taxation and struggle, even though there, you know, there were spikes along the way as well of outright murder and persecution, but that prolonged pressure, you know, of persecution throughout the history uh, of that, you know, we, we know that, you know, the faith got delivered to us under extreme situations, right? In these cases, of course, these are man-made um, situations. And even in the modern day, right, um, we, we saw it with our own eyes that, uh, people with faith are constantly holding the faith more than of more value than this present life, even at the risk of bombings or um, beheadings that still were happening from people that uh, thought maybe they were doing God's will. But we know that the faith was given to us, right? And then when you look at like where the families of the martyrs who were like of the 21 martyrs of Libya, they interviewed and if you, Take a look at this link. I strongly encourage you maybe take a picture of it with your phone or something and go back and look at the, the families that were interviewed. Uh, one mother, you know, I say this jokingly, but it, <laughs> it gives, gives you kind of insights. 
one mother of the martyred uh, of 21 martyrs of Libya, one mother when interviewed said she was content that his last words were Jesus Christ. Um, because if he would have denied the faith, I would have killed him myself. You know, I don't know how serious she was, but it shows you, it shows you how important the faith was uh, to the, to these families. And, and, you know, we, we thank God for their blessing and we know that God compensates and he makes things all right in the last day. And, and he will, uh, he, uh, true justice will occur in those days, right? And so we pray to the God, we, we have a share and in inheritance with all the saints, angels, martyrs, and prophets, and, and the saints of old as well. Oh, I'm sorry, I actually clicked on the YouTube link. So when, when all this started, um, I, I began in my readings to read uh, a little writing from St. Cyprian, who is a third century saint. And during the, um, he was a saint in Rome. And if anyone's interested, I'll be happy to send you the PDF. Just uh, text me or email me. Um, and he wrote a treatise uh, in the third century on, on the mortality. He was going through a, a, a huge epidemic uh, of the time uh, to the point where people thought that that was the end of the world. Uh, made the coronavirus look terrible, like nothing, right? It looked like the common cold so far, thank God. But it looked, uh, it was bad. One, one estimate was like about 5,000 people were dying in Rome a day. Um, maybe some of those numbers maybe left the city or something, but it was, they were dying by the thousands uh, by the day. And he described some of the symptoms, you know, like blood coming from the eyes or extreme diarrhea and de dehydration and uh, aches in the bodies, and it was just a major plague that hit Rome. Um, so he writes this treatise, uh, and I found it very interesting, he, and it puts things in an amazing perspective, and if anyone's interested, uh, I'll be happy to email you that PDF. It's about maybe 10 pages long or so. It's not too long. But St. Cyprian said that the plague was offering many benefits, and he was like pu pushing people to have courage in the face of this. Uh, because first of all, just kind of like what we talked about, it made manifest that invisible world of our hearts and mind. It puts us to the test. It reveals the things that are inside of us, not just to those around us, not just to Satan and his um, uh, demons, uh, but to us ourselves, right? It lets us know who we are. So, you know, it puts humanity, this is putting humanity to the test, whether or not they will, those who are, and this is a quote from him, whether they who are in health tend to the sick, whether relations affectionately love their kindred, you know, the second bullet point, you know, is uh, really interesting, you know, when, whether or not, you know, how do people react with respect to love for one another? Um, maybe I've seen both ends of the spectrum to tell you the truth for these first two bullet points. I've seen many people offer, for example, they've emailed me and offered, to help out with, or texted me to help out with elderly, if anyone needs uh, elderly shopping, um, and then they'll be happy to deliver it to them. I mean, very, very beautiful. But then we go to Walmart and we don't see any toilet paper on the shelves because people just don't care and they're just uh, being kind of selfish, right? So we're seeing both ends of the spectrum, right? It's a test, it, it reveals who we are. Um, whether employers, for example, pity their languishing employees, right? Are they 
are they saving their jobs, you know, or, or are they firing them, you know, during these closures? It's going to be difficult to see what, what happens. That's why the church is looking um, right now. We're working for a few people and trying to create a committee to, um, to help those who maybe have lost their job or suffer financial hardship and to, um, you know, kind of put together a team to help those kind of people or help the elderly who need uh, supplies because we don't know how long this will last yet. <clears throat> and those on the front lines, right? Like the physicians, do they forsake uh, or do they, do they stick their, you know, putting their own lives at risk so that they can help those who are suffering, right? They're that, that first line of defense against that invisible enemy, right? Um, it puts those physicians to the test. I'm sure some uh, are still there and some are not. Uh, whether the fierce, uh, you know, whether it's a fierce violence or whether, um, you know, like are the, is, you know, is it going to be apocalyptic and is there more violence and robberies and things like that? This is going to kind of show who we are as a people. And whether the, like the humble, uh, the, the proud person, right? Do they finally, like Jonah, after three days, he finally bent his neck to, to pray? Um, or is this going to be uh, like, you know, some people who are proud, they even this won't bend their neck, right? Even them, they will not go to their knees and ask God for mercy. Well, we'll uh, you know, many of us who are, practicing things that we can be repenting from is this an occasion for us to consider it and repent or are we gonna continue to be bold in doing sin you know the, this is what you know it shows us who we are you know suffering shows us who we are and we should take it as a lesson um this is uh this coronavirus is indeed putting us to the test as a people and as individuals and we should practice putting the faith first. And of course, that faith is our faith in God and also our, and our love for God, but also our love for each other. And uh, we should reinforce that with each other. With that, if there are any questions, I'd be happy to take it. I know there, are, there have been books upon books written about the uh, providence of God in suffering. Um, many of the church fathers uh, talk about it. Um, and you know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to see, uh, you know, the, you know, the end result of things, but, uh, we have to put our trust in God and have our faith in him. I know it's a complex topic, you know, and you know, just one hour doesn't fully address it. Uh, you know, but I hope my weakness at least touched on some of the points and do you guys have any questions at all? Okay, so Ray raised his hand. Let me see how to call upon Ray. Ray, uh, let me unmute you. Give me one second here. Okay. Okay, Ray, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, so I was in a very heated discussion with somebody who was, I guess they're buying a lot of supplies. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't agree with that kind of hoarding. Um, I don't actually, I didn't buy anything really more than what I normally would buy. Um, and uh, I trust that God always will provide for what we need. But the argument that this person is making, I just wanted to hear your view, even though I still disagree with him. Um, his argument was 
that he is planning and that as far as he knows and what may come and what may not come, that he is preparing for the worst. So for preparing for the worst means that he has to take steps to take care of what his responsibilities are. And if that means he needs to buy this much, if that means that there will not be enough for him later that, you know, and I, I like that your point was, it is kind of a selfish act, but he doesn't see it from that point of being selfish. He sees it as that he's becoming prepared for whatever is to come. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, kind of like as we talked, you know, um, you know, we all we all kind of went to Walmart and got things for us. Uh, but like you said, you know, just uh, it is a measure of our faith. Um, you know, it's not going to be a judgment on anyone. You know, we shouldn't judge anyone. doing Right. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We don't ask for Lord, give us, you know, for the rest of our life, our daily bread. We ask for this right. day. And every day we ask for the things needed for the day and we trust in God that, you know, it's, it, and that's the measure of faith is that we trust in God that he will take care of us in the future. There is a sense of community, right? I mean, we can all afford to buy lots of lots and lots of toilet paper, right? Or, you know, hand sanitizers or gloves, mm -hmm. or masks, you know, like no one can find a mask right now. So, you know, I think, you know, there is that, you know, there is that level of, yeah, I should protect my family. Fine. That's fine. But there is overdoing it too, you know? And I've seen, you know, people walking out with like piles of toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know. What's the purpose of all that? Like, you know, I don't know. So, yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, if they're going to look kind of silly to themselves and their children, if this doesn't last that long, but if it, even if it does, again, there's that sense of community and love for each other that we should uh, consider. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank uh, you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's see. I, and one other point, I sent you a chat text. I didn't know if you got that or not. I, I don't usually use this program, so. Yeah, well, we're all kind of, uh, we've become experts uh, <laughs> pretty quickly, right, Sharif? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I just sent you a text if you can email me, because uh, I see it's being recorded. I wanted to listen yeah, to yeah. this. And he said, I see that baby recording. Can you please email me uh, the recording? Yeah. So thanks to one of our beloved parishioners, uh, uh, Sharif. Sorry to embarrass you. Uh, he, we're, we're now recording these. And I should have been streaming to YouTube, but I didn't. So what we'll do is later download it and upload it to YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel so that you can receive those on a regular basis. But if you search in St. Basil American, church uh you'll see the uh these talks that we're giving and sermons and things of that sort we're uploading it now to you to youtube on our channel okay thank you okay and, and you can email the powerpoint too or oh sure yeah i can send you the powerpoint it'll be on the video but if you want it i can email it to you as well sure. thank okay. you mm -hmm. all right abuna why does uh, god go with satan on in the beginning Um, say, say it again. I didn't quite get the question. Sorry. Why does God, God is the one that instigates, right? Um, he's the one, have you seen Job, my servant, right? Why does God goad Satan? In the <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it in that manner. I'd say it differently that, you know, the war was, the war is on, 
right? It was on before Satan went up to where the sons of God or the angels were gathered. Uh, there was already a war between, uh, as it's continuing now, between uh, Satan and God. So it, it didn't begin with God. It was Satan has been warring and he had the audacity, Satan did because of his pride, to go where the sons of God were and, and try to, you know, infringe and, and pierce this gathering, uh, you know, that I can't really put my finger on and what, it, what kind of gathering it was, but it says, where well, the sons of God were there gathered with, you know, with God and he comes in the midst. And so he's the one who kind of instigated it, right? And he's walking to and fro on the earth. That's why it says, where did you come from? Walking to and fro on the earth. What's he doing there? He's there warring with the sons of men, right? With us to bring us down and to stumble us. So he goes, okay, after you're walking to and fro, have you seen Job? You know, it is a battle and he wants us to have victory in the eyes of our enemy. So I think he started it, right? He started it in, in, in uh, the garden and he's starting it again and again every day. So it's a war and we're fighting back and we're going to fight back to our last breath. So, so I, I'd say, I don't know if he goaded him, <laughs> but um, you know, in the end, like what the talk, the point I was trying to get across is that those things are terrible that he suffered, but God, and, and you know, we didn't finish the story with Job that God restored, of course, everything back to him in, in greater measure as well. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. Abuna, can I add on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so, I see it as uh, that the devil is very prideful and that he believes that he is winning. And I think God in his uh, wisdom that it's a way of a humbling experience to show the world that God is always in control. Even when the devil appears that he is in charge, he's actually not in charge. So it's like a person saying, I know this person is a bully and he's bullying all these kids, maybe that they don't know the answer to a question. But then I could humble that bully by saying, well, why don't you answer this, ask that same question or to a child that does know the answer. And I know that child knows the answer, but then the bully thinks he doesn't know. And he tries to, you know, bully him and saying, you don't know the answer to this question. And then the child answers the question, meaning that God knows the truth of Job's heart. And it's a way of showing the world that, the devil has no control, uh, only what God allows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like what Zianna uh, says, if I can quote her on, her on the chat here. He says that we cannot change people. We can only lead by example. It is a good time to show our Christianity and our faith. Absolutely. Now is the time for Christians to show their faith, right? Even under these extreme situations, we show our faith, right? Um, and, and that's exactly, you know, in the early church, the Christians, uh, when persecuted by the pagans, uh, they showed extreme love and humility to them with, with strength and courage, but still never, uh, letting go of the faith or, or of love for them. And it was so compelling that Christianity became the major religion after that. So, um, Jasmine, I see your hand up. Yes, just following up on the question of Job, and I know that you were saying that he was testing, you know, maybe maybe it just shows how we can be victorious in this battle, but 
I just, God knew that Job wouldn't deny him. And it just seems like he was trying to prove it to Satan. Like, look at my servant. He's amazing. He, you can't really bring him down. And I just don't know why it seems like, why is he just trying to prove, or who is he trying to prove it to? Like, is he trying to prove it to Job that he can be victorious? Is he trying to prove it to Satan? Like, you can't bring my children down because. Yeah, so it's to three. It's just he knows the future, you know? He knows the future and and it's it's just interesting. Yeah, it really is. But it is, it's not just to Satan. I mean, who is Satan anyways? It's not just to him, but but he does want us to have victory in, in the eyes of our enemy. He wants us, even if in, in places where he previously beat us, he wants us to go back and have victory in those spots. He wants that victory for us, right? But not only that, he wants us to, um, like, you know, to know ourselves, right? Uh, knowing ourselves is the key to our salvation sometimes. You know, it's those people who do not know themselves, and knowing ourselves and who we are and how do we fit in God's economy or God's plan for salvation. Once we know ourselves, I can guarantee you, you know, so many sins would be repented from. If we know who we are as children of God, if we know who we are as far as the, our shortcomings and weaknesses that exist, if we know who we are, then, you know, we will take leaps forward in our spiritual life. You know, our limits, our strengths, our capability, you know, if it's just like that, right? If the more we know about ourselves, the more we progress. And sometimes it does take a suffering, you know, it takes a challenge. Uh, they say sometimes failure, for example, okay, failure is the best teacher. Uh, it's through falling and it's through struggling and it's through the challenges that we know who we are, you know, where's our strength and where's our weaknesses. So that's, that's, that's important that we know. But the third group is like, kind of like Zianna said, right? Is that we have to like show through, you know, just like Christ said as well, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. And so seeing our actions um, under extreme situations reveals it to us, reveals it to our enemy, but also reveals it to those around us for our benefit. Where would we be if we didn't hear about Job and if we didn't hear about Abraham and Isaac? It, God always knew that. And Abraham could have died with that faith and that love for God without us ever having to know, but we know it through that, that struggle. Let me, I know I see a few hands up here, but one more point. When you look at this, this the cross, right? Christ on the cross. We know that God loves us, right? And we can just say, you know, God God is love and he loves us, right? But the truth is God's love is unsearchable. It is beyond measure. It is beyond comprehension. He loves us to such a degree that we cannot even think about or comprehend how much he loves us. And let alone to talk about it. Like there's nothing I can say to you to describe how much God loves us. But we look on the cross, right? That's how we know he loved us. The, the cross is an example of us, for us, to understand as much as possible God's love for us. Because without the cross, we don't really have a full glimpse of how much God loves us. That's why Christianity offers the greatest 
show and the greatest um, uh, revelation of God's love, right? Other religions don't even talk about God's love, right, towards us. Some maybe do, but no one has this symbol of the how much God loves us, right? That cross. And how do we know that? It's through the suffering. Okay, uh, let's see. Ray, did you have another question or is that an old hand? No, I was just actually going to add uh, that Job was uh, basically, uh, yeah, I know people think martyrdom means that you're put to death, but actually he's a living martyr to mm -hmm. witness to the truth. Because if he, if he didn't go through what he goes through, then we wouldn't know the power that God has and the, uh, the, the love that we should have for him the way Job did. Yes, I love that. Thank you. Sharif. Yes, Abuna. So um, the explanation, though, is not present in God's answer in chapter 38 onwards. So when Job questions him, God doesn't come back and say, I wanted to test you to show you that you have the capability to withstand this, or I wanted to test you so that others may learn from your example. He basically tells him, I made the universe. You don't get to question me. Right. And that's, that's basically what he says. It takes him three chapters to say it, but that's, that's it, right? So he basically says, like, I do my whatever is my pleasure. So how do you reconcile the image of an all-loving God who right. sends There's his son to be crucified and at the same time a God who essentially lets a beloved person get tortured for absolutely no reason and provides no justification for that when he's questioned about it? Well, there's, there's a difference between God fully comprehending God's uh, economy, right? His plan when it comes to human suffering. Um, we know, you know, he doesn't talk about other things too. Like, for example, that sin in general, 